0: Section 15 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 8, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Henrietta Maria, Chapter 4, Part 3. When Gloucester left the Palais Royal with a heavy heart, Queen Henrietta received a visit from her sister-in-law, the Queen Regent of France, who was eager to know what success these severe measures which they had previously concerted with Montague, had had in inducing submission. At the desire of Queen Henrietta, she sent the young Duke of Anjou, her second son, to seek his cousin, the Duke of Gloucester, to represent to him in a friendly manner, the trouble he would incur by resisting the wills of both queens. Anjou returned after a long search and said that no one knew whither Gloucester had taken refuge after he found that his apartments were dismantled and his food cashiered. The queens at length, after experiencing some alarm, heard that he had taken refuge with Lord Hatton. Thither they sent the Marquis du Plessis to persuade him into submission, but the sole message he could induce him to send was that he was more than ever attached to the Church of England, however fallen and distressed she might be. That night, after his return from evening prayers, the duke of gloucester stole back to the palais-royal to take the opportunity of bidding farewell to his sister the princess henrietta before their mother returned from vesters at her chalot convent but the moment the young princess heard of his intentions to resist the queen's will and to leave her she began to shriek and cry aloud oh me my mother oh me my brother oh my mother what shall i do i am undone for ever the duke gathered from these exclamations that she was in mortal terror of the queen's displeasure he therefore left her and disconsolately sought his own sleeping room which he found cold and dismantled with the sheets taken off the bed while poor gloucester was looking in dismay at this very unmaternal arrangement for his night's rest his groom entered in great perplexity to know what he should do with his horses for the queen's comptroller was by her commands turning them out of the royal stables the duke declared a new place could not be found for them at nine o'clock at night the comptroller said queen henrietta would discharge him before morning if they remained during the night gloucester when all these cares regarding his horses his servants and himself were thrown upon his hands was penniless and just fourteen in this dilemma the marquess of Ormond sold the last jewel he possessed which was the george of the order of the garter to provide the persecuted son of his master with the necessaries of life it was equally disgraceful of henrietta to distress her husband's faithful and impoverished servants by throwing on them the maintenance of her son as it was to persecute him for his integrity in preserving the promise he had made to his father in his tender childhood this was decidedly the worst action queen henrietta ever committed. This religious persecution, carried on against one of her own family, made henrietta exceedingly unpopular among the faithful servants of Charles I, religious bigotry was active in the minds of both parties and produced its usual consequences, a venomous political hatred the queen seems to have taken an ungenerous advantage of her superior influence in the land of their mutual banishment to show former grudges and jealousies which she had imbibed during the lifetime of her husband against chancellor hyde ormond and many others among the most virtuous of the church of england royalists but it must be owned there was no love lost for they hated her most bitterly Hyde has left curious minutes of his farewell interview with the queen, when he departed from Paris to join her son at Cologne in the autumn of 1654. Previously, the queen had not been on speaking terms with him, but Lord Percy intimated to him her permission for audience of leave. When he came into her presence, she reproached him for disrespect, and told him that everyone noticed that he never entered her presence, though he lodged under her roof. The chancellor replied, that she had mentioned his punishment and not his fault that it was true he wished not all the world to behold that he was not favoured by her who was the widow of his late benefactor and the mother of his present king and that as she enjoyed the assistance of a puissant court and he had not in his power to aid her with the smallest service he had abstained from obtruding himself on her presence as he knew he was unwelcome but he hoped she would not now dismiss him without naming what she had taken amiss in his conduct queen henrietta could have told him that his zeal in keeping her sons steady in their attachment to the church of england was the head and front of his offending but though she shut her eyes to the fact that their compliance with the dominant religion of france would seem at once time-serving insincere and ruinous to all their future hopes in england still she did not name the real cause of her heart burning against her husband's old friend she said some passionate words respecting an old grudge that he had lessened formerly her credit with her husband but that she should be glad to change her opinion now so carelessly extending her hand to him and turning half away while he knelt and kissed it she departed with a displeased air into her bedchamber the duke of york did all that was in his power to assist his young brother Indeed, he was nearly under as much disgrace as Gloucester with his mother, for the same cause. This prince testified as ardent an attachment to the Church of England, while oppressed and exiled, as he showed to the Church of Rome in the decline of his life. No representations of interest made by his mother could induce him to forsake his father's faith. Charles the Second had charged him to watch over the proceedings of their mother in regard to the religious education of their young brother. He wrote to him thus, i have told you what the queen hath promised me concerning our brother harry in point of religion and i have given him charge to inform you if any attempt should be made upon him in which case you will take the best care you can to prevent his being wrought upon when the princess of orange and the queen of bohemia who then resided under the protection of the states of holland heard of the persecutions which young gloucester was enduring from his mother on account of his attachment to the religion of which they were both tried and sincere votaries they were shocked and indignant and urged charles the second to send for him to them the admirable queen of bohemia thus wrote her mind to sir edward nicholas on this subject i was saturday last with my best niece that is the princess of orange at teeling it being her birthday i assure you that she is in much trouble for her dear brother gloucester i am sorry that the king that is charles the second has so much cause for grief i beseech god that he may speedily remedy it i believe that my dear nephew gloucester has a good resolution but there is no trusting to one of his tender age i confess i did not think the queen his mother would have proceeded thus the postscript to this letter comprised an important event as it afterwards proved, to Queen Henrietta, and this was the arrival of Anne Hyde at The Hague, as maid of honor to the Princess of Orange. The princess had previously, out of gratitude for the fidelity of Chancellor Hyde, to her unfortunate father, given him a house of hers at Breda, rent-free, without which, as he declares, he must have wanted shelter for his children. When his eldest daughter was about fifteen, the princess, who was very fond of her, wished to relieve the chancellor of her maintenance the chancellor reminded her that queen henrietta would be offended because he knew she wished to recommend a young lady in the place of young mistress Killigrew, who had died of the small-pox while the princess of orange was staying at the spa with the king her brother he declared likewise that her royal highness's favour to his daughter would draw upon him a further access of the displeasure of his queen which already heavily oppressed him and that her royal highness would experience her share to which the princess of orange very properly replied i have always paid the duty to the queen my mother which was her due but i am mistress of my own family and can receive what servants i please nay i should wrong my mother if i forbore to do good and just action lest her majesty should be offended at it i know that ill offices have been done you to my mother but i doubt not that in due time she will discern that she has been mistaken chancellor hyde remained greatly averse to a separation from his daughter but the partiality of the princess and the queen of bohemia to the young lady overbore his reluctance and anne hyde was finally established at the hague meantime queen henrietta showed some repentance for her cruelty to her youngest son but poor as they were, her children and her husband's family preferred taking the cost of his maintenance upon them to trusting his religion and happiness with her. By this post, wrote the Queen of Bohemia, I have had very good news of Gloucester's constancy in his religion and of my Lord of Ormond's handsome carriage in this business. The Queen saith she will press him no further in it, but I hope the King, that is Charles the Second, will not trust to her but get him away. This suggestion was immediately acted upon. Charles II wrote formally to his mother, claiming his young brother as his subject. Queen Henrietta was obliged to permit him to depart in the middle of December 1654. Queen Henrietta, having thus driven her sons from her, remained with her young daughter, a guest in the Palais Royal, occupied with the hopes and fears of that child's future destination. She had ventured to hope that the young king, Louis XIV, would be captivated in due time by the charms of her daughter and the queen-regent anne of austria had assured her that if the marriage treaty with her brother's daughter the infanta maria teresa was broken that the king her son should espouse the young princess of england but she owned that to see him marry her spanish niece was the first wish of her heart louis the fourteenth who was still in his minority had as yet seen no beauty in his young English cousin, who was a small, delicate child, and he took an opportunity of showing his mother and aunt that if any accident freed him from his Spanish fiancée, it was the last of his thoughts to replace her with the English princess. One evening, in the spring of 1655, Queen Henrietta and her daughter were invited to see the king dance at a ball, which Anne of Austria gave in her private apartments that queen had been ill some days and appeared dressed in a wrapping robe and the cornet or mourning cap of that era to mark that she was an invalid her guests were the duchesses and ladies of her household and those who had young daughters brought them to figure in the grand quadrille which was formed for the young king the party was rather of a juvenile character and the dancers were from the age of the princess of england who was about eleven to the age of louis the fourteenth who was just sixteen it was the first amusement of the kind in which the princess henrietta of england had appeared and etiquette demanded that her cousin the young king of france should dance with her he was then distractedly in love with marie de mancini niece to his artful prime minister mazarin and was ready to share his crown with her this young lady not being present he chose to dance with his sister the duchess de mercure and despite of his mother's commands led her out as his partner in the branle or brawl the national dance of the english being then fashionable in france the queen-regent rose abruptly from her chair of state where she was sitting with queen henrietta and advancing to louis the fourteenth took the niece of mazarin from him and commanded him to lead the young princess of england to the dance Queen Henrietta, greatly alarmed at the anger of her sister-in-law, and the lowering brow of her nephew, immediately rose and joined the group. She assured the king that her daughter would not dance, she was too young, besides she had hurt her foot and could not be his partner. These polite excuses availed not. Anne of Austria declared that if the Queen of England suffered not her daughter to dance, the king should have no partner of lower rank. The result was, that neither louis the fourteenth nor the princess henrietta joined the dancers the king was in disgrace all the evening with his mother who reproached him from time to time and he answered sullenly that he did not like little girls the queen of england could not help attributing the rudeness of the young king to the contempt of her fallen state she however experienced a still more serious mortification when the princess marguerite the daughter of her sister the duchess of savoy arrived at the court of france literally as a candidate for the hand of louis the fourteenth this tawny princess treated her aunt and the fair delicate english princess her daughter with the supercilious condescension that some rich heiresses use towards poor relations for nearly two years a coldness had been kept up between queen henrietta and her sons who were inclined to view her exclusive fondness for their young catholic sister with something like angry jealousy when the princess of orange paid her a visit in hopes of reconciling all differences the queen was delighted to see her eldest daughter but the moment she beheld her the mania of conversion returned she carried her to the nuns of shelloe who beset the poor princess with their pious entreaties father cyprian added his theological arguments but all in vain the princess of orange persisted in remaining true to the church of england it was at this visit that the duke of york who had accompanied his sister at the end of his campaign as her escort to Paris, fell in love with Anne Hyde, of whom he thus speaks in his memoirs. Besides her person, she had all the qualities proper to inflame a heart, less apt to take fire than his. And she brought his passion to such a height, that between the time he first saw her, and the winter before the king's restoration, he resolved to marry none but her, and promised her to do it the king to whom he confided his passion refused his consent and dissuaded his brother from the marriage which made him conceal it for several months time and death meanwhile were silently effecting a change in the fortunes of the royal family of england but the decease of her great enemy cromwell at first raised no hopes in the mind of the widowed queen for the restoration of her son it is a curious point to be able to unveil her actual feelings at this crisis by means of the following letter written to a person in whom she so thoroughly confided as madame de motteville it was in answer to a letter of that lady congratulating her on the removal of her persecutor queen henrietta maria to madame de motteville you might accuse me with reason of showing little sensibility to the kindness of my friends if i did not inform you that i only received your letter this morning though dated on sunday I thought you would hear with joy the news of the death of that Scalorat. But I own to you, whether it be that my heart is so wrapped in melancholy, that it is incapable of it, or that I really see not, as yet, any great advantage that will accrue to us, but I feel no very great satisfaction. The most I have is, seeing the hopes of all my friends. I beg you will thank Madame du Plessis, and Mademoiselle de Belnave, very warmly. I should be indeed rejoiced, to make the fourth in your company i would dwell long on the tried friendship of all of you for me but in truth there is more in my heart than can be expressed and my actions shall make you see it on all occasions i entreat you to believe or you will wrong me that i am from the depth of my soul your friend henriette marie r the hopes of better times which had appeared so indistinct to the mind of the widow of charles I, were gradually developed in the course of the next few months when the appearance of certain english time-servers who flocked to her court and endeavoured to forestall her favour proved the unerring symptoms of approaching prosperity from the journal of one of these fair-weather friends may be gathered the following intelligence after the death of cromwell says sir john raresby i endeavoured to be known to the queen-mother's court which she kept then at the palais royal her majesty at that time had none of her children with her but the princess henrietta maria and as few of the english made their court to her i was the better received i spoke french and danced pretty well and the young princess then about fifteen years of age behaved to me with all the civil freedom that might be she danced with me played on the harpsichord to me in her chamber, suffered me to wait on her as she walked in the garden, and sometimes to toss her in a swing between two great trees, and in fine, to be present at all her innocent diversions. The queen had a great affection for England, though she had met with such severity of usage there. Before the great men and ladies of France, she discoursed much in praise of the people and country, of their courage, their generosity, and good nature and she would excuse the rebellion as being brought about by some desperate enthusiasts rather than proceeding from the temper of the nation to give a little instance of her care in regard to our countrymen i happened one day to carry an english gentleman to court and he willing to be very gay had got him a garniture of rich red and yellow ribbons to his suit and the queen observing the absurd effect called to me, and advised me to tell my friend to mend his taste a little as to his choice of ribbons, for the two colors he had joined were ridiculous in France, and would make people laugh at him. I had three cousins in an English convent in France, one of them an ancient lady, since abbess of the house. Thither the queen was wont to retire for some days, and this lady told me that Lord German had the queen greatly in awe of him, and indeed it was obvious that he had uncommon interest with her and her concerns but that he was married to her and had children by her as some have reported i did not then believe though the thing was certainly so pepys mentions the same gossip story and speaks of a daughter that the queen had by lord jermyn an assertion has likewise been made in print to the following effect by an anonymous writer i myself have often heard mr r osborne then at paris with the exiled king affirm that he saw lord german and queen henrietta solemnly married together who i myself may be by name it would not be easy at present to discover he is the anonymous author of a most atrocious libel published in sixteen ninety with the avowed intention of surpassing all the other personal slanders on the stuart sovereigns a difficult task, but he has certainly accomplished it. So little did the government of France expect the restoration of the royal family of Stuart that Cardinal Mazarine, fearful of incurring the enmity of Cromwell's successor, would not permit Charles II to stay more than a few days with Queen Henrietta when he was on his road from Fontarabia. Both the queen and her son earnestly petitioned that he might be permitted to stay longer with her, she being at her country seat at Cologne's. Nevertheless, Mazarine insisted on his departure from France. Charles left his mother unwillingly, as he had many consultations to hold with her, respecting the important change in English affairs, and to the regret of both, he was forced to retire to Brussels raresby who was rather better acquainted with the state of the public mind in england than the french prime minister remained a close attendant on queen henrietta's court and was actually there when the news of the restoration arrived he affirms that the queen expressed extravagant joy and that the whole French and English court might rejoice with her. She gave a magnificent ball, to which every courtier of note belonging to either country was invited, and all the English gentlemen of whatsoever politics they might be were guests. Among others, Sir John Raresby was commanded by the Queen to dance with the Cardinal's niece, the beautiful Hortense Mancini. There was a much greater resort at this time to our Queen's court, pursues Raresby, than to those of the two french queens for their good humor and wit and the great beauty of the young princess her daughter made it more attractive than the solemn spanish etiquette observed in the others i had more honors from our queen and her daughter while i stayed at paris than i deserved that certainly was true since the only return he made for their hospitality was to promulgate a slander for which not the slightest evidence can be discovered in private the joy of queen henrietta assumed a devout character it appears that she was at the palais-royal when the news arrived and hastened from her abode to her nuns at chalot the moment she heard of it to glad them with the good tidings here she remained till her son charles the second paid her a flying visit incognito to paris for the purpose of consulting her on the subject the mother and son dined together in the refectory of the chalot convent And were waited on at table by the nuns in the evening the queen assisted at a solemn service in the chapel in which the whole choir sang and prayers were offered for the benedictions of heaven on the royal family of england the queen resumed from this time all her former activity of mind and to assist her son in his restoration she exerted herself to obtain for him a loan or present of fifty thousand crowns from the duchess of savoy her sister and she renewed every ancient tie and alliance in his favour the delirious joy of the restoration may twenty ninth sixteen sixty was not witnessed by her a circumstance which calls forth the following apostrophe from her poet and secretary the celebrated cowley in his ode on the return and restoration of charles the second where's now the royal mother where to take her mighty share in this inspiring sight and with the part she takes to add to the delight ah why art thou not here thou always best and now the happiest queen to see our joy and with new joy be seen how well thy different virtues thee become daughter of triumphs queen of martyrdom her delay seems to have been occasioned by the negotiation she had in hand in regard to her daughter's marriage with her nephew philippe who on the death of her brother gaston in the autumn of sixteen fifty nine had lately become duke of orleans in the midst of the rejoicings for the union of his eldest brother louis the fourteenth with the infanta maria teresa orleans had fallen violently in love with his beautiful cousin it is said that Louis Fourteenth was likewise sensibly touched by her charms when it was too late. The marriage between one or other of her royal nephews with her daughter was the aim of Henrietta from the time she determined to bring her up a Catholic. Even so unworldly a person as Pere Cyprian was fully aware of the policy of the Queen of England in this matter. His manuscripts contain a graphic portrait of Henrietta of England. He says... Now, I will continue the history of my petite princess. It was well known how entirely she was beloved by the queen her mother. Indeed, it often happens that parents love most tenderly their youngest children. Witness the affection of the patriarch Jacob for Joseph and Benjamin. Of all her children, certainly the queen cherished la petite princess the most, though she had for the whole the true affection of a mother. It must be owned, with due deference to Pere Cyprian Gamache, That she had a most extraordinary way of showing it to those who persisted in attending the service of the Church of England. La petite princesse, continues the father, was of a rare beauty, of a sweet temper and a noble spirit, and applied herself to all the exercises fitting to her royal degree. She excelled the most skillful in dances, in musical instruments, and all similar accomplishments. The elegance of her person, her port sweetly majestic, and all her movements so justly and tastefully regulated called forth the praises of every one who beheld her above all her aunt madame christine the duchess of savoy envied the queen her mother la petite princesse supposing that she was to be brought up as a protestant like her brothers and sisters her aunt of savoy expressed a wish to take her for her own and bring her up in the religion that she thought would make her graces of mind equal those of her person as this sister of queen henrietta had disgraced her regency by a fierce persecution of the vaudois the infamous persecution which called forth the glorious sonnet of milton commencing avenge o lord thy martyred saints whose bones lie scattered on the alpine mountains cold it was better that la petite princess was educated under the mild tuition of her loving tutor father cyprian the peaceable re-establishment of charles the second in his kingdoms without war without contest and without a sword being drawn occurred at the time when the princess his sister had gained the perfection of her beauty the duke of orleans with the consent of his brother louis the fourteenth proposed to marry her and demanded her of the queen her mother this affair came to a conclusion when charles the second had been settled in his kingdom about five months Queen Henrietta knew there was the important point of the portion of the young princess to settle with the English Parliament. She therefore resolved to go to England with her daughter to conclude the negotiation and take possession at the same time of her own long withheld dowry. She hoped likewise to break the marriage of her second son James with Mrs. Anne Hyde, of which she had heard some rumors with rage and disgust. She need not have been so very indignant, if it is true that she had undertaken the negotiation of the marriage of the niece of the cardinal mazarin with her son charles the second for mazarin and his family had sprung from the very lowest classes in their native country while the ancestors of anhyde belonged to a rank of english country gentry the noblesse minores as they are very truly called in the issue rolls from among whom the proudest of her son's royal ancestors had not disdained to choose queens perhaps her chief inducement to negotiate this degrading marriage was that she meant to divert the cardinal from shaking her son's newly settled throne by his intrigues however charles the second positively refused the alliance and death removed mazarine a few weeks after queen henrietta had undertaken this commission queen henrietta was never again to behold the son with whom she had parted with such wrath on account of his attachment to the church of england the young duke of gloucester had accompanied his brothers at the restoration and had been received with great regard on account of his firmness to his religious principles he fell ill with the smallpox in september and died on the twenty second of that month notwithstanding repeated bleedings as the public papers of the day affirm the queen's grief for the death of her youngest son was interrupted by the unwelcome confirmation of the marriage of the duke of york with anne hyde nothing could exceed her exasperation at this event it was not allayed by the letters she received from her eldest daughter the princess of orange who had arrived in england at the very crisis of the whole discovery and was warm in the expression of her rage at the idea of her maid becoming her sister-in-law the queen expedited her journey to england in hopes of rending asunder ties which she had resolved should not be permanent she immediately wrote a very severe letter to her son, James, reproaching him for having such low thoughts as to wish to marry such a woman. The Duke of York showed his mother's letter to his beloved and assured her he would not be moved by it to her injury. To King Charles the Second, the Queen wrote, that she was on her way to England to prevent with her authority so great a stain and dishonor to the crown. And among other passionate expressions, she added, that her purpose was to complain to the parliament against the lord chancellor and to urge that the highest remedies were to be applied for the prevention of so great a mischief meantime envy and scandal had been busy with their usual work a knot of profligate courtiers stimulated by the hopes of ingratiating themselves with the queen-mother and the princess of orange had invented so many atrocious slanders on the character of the wife of the duke of york that no man of honor could have retained an attachment to her while they persisted in their testimony end of section fifteen